All right, you can have a seat. Welcome to all of you who are here, those who are watching online, those out in the great room. Those of you that maybe are here for the first time, someone invited you. We're so glad uh, that you're here. Doesn't the sanctuary and the lobby and the great room look fantastic? So there there were a lot of people that were involved in kind of getting this. We're going to talk about uh, preparation today and the role of of preparing our hearts for what God has next. And uh, there was a lot of people involved in the preparation of this space. But I think the kind of mastermind person on the point that moved all of the different pieces and volunteers and all of that around was our student pastor, Kyle Cooper. So would you show your appreciation, Kyle, and the team? All right, some cool stuff going on around this place. So look at the announcements. All right, I am so excited to tell you about our Christmas at Fairfax calendar. We are starting it off this coming Wednesday, December 8th, with an event that's kind of new that we're calling Winterfest. And so this is an event for your entire family. Bring the neighbors, bring your small group, bring all of your friends. It is this Wednesday from 6 to 8. And for the first hour and a half, we are going to play a bunch of games together. We are going to drink hot cocoa. We have some service projects for you to participate in. Uh, There will be pizza and water available for purchase here, and it's going to be a really fun festival. And then from 7.30 until 8, we're going to sing some Christmas carols together with some members from our worship team. We are asking everybody who comes to Winterfest to bring a brand new pair of children's shoes so that we can distribute those to some people in our community who need them. So bring Bring your shoes and just drop them off on your way in the door. The following Wednesday, we have Advent Prayer. And this is a really special event that we do around here. It's a night for us to center our hearts on the message of Jesus coming to earth and the incarnation. And this year, we are focusing on the idea of joy, the joy in Jesus's birth, the joy of Jesus's coming return, joy in this Christmas season. There is special Advent programming for children. So Fairfax Kids Preschool through elementary, they have their own program. We need you, though, to register your kids if you're going to bring them to Advent Prayer. You can get all of the details for Advent Prayer, register, all of those things on our website, fairfax.cc slash Christmas. And then Christmas Eve, December 24th, we have five services this year, starting at 1 o'clock, 2.30, 4 o'clock, 5.30, and 7. All of them will be in person. All of them will be online. And so we've got room for everybody. So bring your whole family, bring the people that are coming in from out of town, bring the neighbor, bring the grocery store clerk, bring everyone and come and join us at Christmas Eve. We are so glad that you're here this morning and that's all I've got. I'll see you soon. I love it when there's clapping for announcements. That is awesome. All right, so I want to give you an update on uh, Giving Tuesday and Renovate. Some pretty cool stuff, Uh, some exciting news to share with you. One, I talked about last week was Commitment Sunday for Renovate, and this week is kind of Celebration Sunday. And so I want to first of all thank all of you that made commitments last weekend. We had a lot of commitments that were given. I want to thank all of you that gave on Giving Tuesday. Here's where we stand. We raised $86,422 on Giving Tuesday. 
And just to put that in context, this is what this means. This means that we have already raised $266,476 for Renovate. So we have already raised over 25% of our million dollar goal right at the start to help us kick us off this uh, help us kick off this 14 month campaign. So it's an incredible start. We should celebrate that. We are so thankful. And uh, I mentioned, uh, like I said, this is Celebration Sunday. So let me just tell you a few things that we're celebrating about all of this. One we're celebrating is a great start uh, to the campaign. That's awesome. We're celebrating that not only can we move ahead with the first portion of the project here, which is going to be focused primarily in this worship space, but we can immediately send a little over $26,000 down to Haiti to begin rebuilding six of the 25 homes that we hope to rebuild with the tithe off of Renovate. So we're going to be able to do that immediately. And uh, we're hoping that we have a, a huge end of the year and be able to send more down that will be able to help us continue to build those homes. We're celebrating that the Renovate campaign is allowing us to accomplish all of this without having to um, accumulate any more debt as a church, any additional debt, without draining our cash reserves, without reducing the mission or ministry budget of the church. It has not taken one penny away from the mission and ministry budget of this church. In fact, because of your ongoing generosity this year, we're going to be able to give away at the end of the year a number of over and above uh, the budget year-end gifts to a number of our global partners because you have positioned us with the over and above giving to renovate to be able to do some amazing things at the end of the year with the rest of our money. So we are celebrating that. We're celebrating that this first phase of renovate is going to enhance our worship experience, both in person and online, and uh, help us reach even more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our weekend attendance, online and in person. You know, it's hard to kind of get an idea of what's happening because of the, the pandemic and, and people as they slowly come back into in-person gatherings. It's like, well, what's, what's happening overall? Here's the reality. Our weekend attendance, online and in person, is growing. It's growing significantly. We're actually up 10% from this time last year. And here's the really exciting thing. New people are finding us and engaging with us both in person and online. So it's not like, oh, people are now just starting to come back and now new people are not attending online. No, it's, a, it's not an either or, it's a both and. People are finding us, engaging with us, both in person and online. And so we want to strategically position ourselves to grow both of those areas as a church. And Renovate is helping us to do that. In fact, just kind of some breaking news, our advisory council is so committed to this that just this week we had our year-end uh, meeting as an advisory council. And just this week they approved the hiring of a digital engagement pastor or a director of digital engagement to help us take the next step in being able to expand not just our in-person ministry, but our online ministry. We want to transition 
in a way from online engagement just being primarily consumer-driven to being about discipleship and engagement and becoming a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ and bringing on a director of digital engagement and building around that is gonna help us do that. So God is at work in some exciting new ways at Fairfax, and the cool thing is that we all get a front row seat to what God is doing. So can we celebrate what God is doing through all of this? Very, very cool. God, I just, uh, we just wanna pause as we get ready to go into this new series and, and truly celebrate your provision for us as a church. We have seen it throughout the decades. We've witnessed it over and over and over again. It should not surprise us, but we are incredibly thankful for the way that you continue to provide for this church and for the mission and the ministry of this church. And so, Lord, as we move into this new season, we pray that you would continue to provide. We pray that you would continue to guide as we seek to be faithful, to communicate the gospel, the transforming, the life-transforming gospel of Jesus Christ. In Christ's name we pray. And everyone set? Amen. All right, so we're launching a new Advent uh, series this weekend. It's called The Gift. And it's based on Luke chapter one and chapter two. So here's the deal. For the last few series, Revelation series, Exodus series, Ezekiel series, we've covered entire books of the Bible, big books of the Bible with lots of chapters in a matter of weeks. But for Advent, we're gonna kind of take a different approach. We're gonna, we're gonna take four weeks to focus on two chapters, actually four weeks to focus on what is really a chapter and a half. And we begin today with the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah that's found in Luke chapter one, starting in verse five. And I wanna give you a little context before we jump into the story. The context is this. The book of Luke, Luke opens at a very dark time in the history of Israel. It's been an incredibly long time since God has raised up a prophet. We just got through with a series on Ezekiel where God provided a prophet to speak into the situation that they were in. It's been a long time since God has raised up a prophet. The last prophet that he had raised up was Malachi, and that was 400 years ago. So now they're living under the occupation of Rome. The people of Israel are wondering, if God has somehow abandoned them in some way, they're wondering if the, if the silence means that God doesn't care anymore. But what they're about to find out is that silence doesn't necessarily mean abandonment. Silence doesn't necessarily mean a lack of care. That sometimes God uses the silence to prepare us for what's next. And that's what he's doing with Israel. And that's also what God is doing in the lives of Elizabeth and Zechariah. For years, Elizabeth and Zechariah, if you know their story, they have longed for a child. And now they are well into their 60s and no child. And like Israel, they're wondering if God has abandoned them. Like Israel, they're wondering if God, God's silence means that he doesn't really care about them and their situation and their longing and all of that. But just like with Israel, they're about to find out that this is not a season of abandonment. This is a season of preparation, that God is preparing them for what's next, and what's next is absolutely amazing. 
even Elizabeth and Zachariah's names are kind of a foreshadowing of what's next. Zachariah means God remembers. So even though Zachariah might feel like God has forgotten him, his name is a reminder that just the opposite is true, that God remembers Zechariah, that God remembers the people of Israel, that God remembers his people. And Elizabeth means God is my oath. It's a reminder that all of God's promises are yes and amen, that God may not always fulfill his promises in the way that we want or in the timing that we want, but God will indeed fulfill his promises. And we see this as Elizabeth and Zechariah's story unfolds. And here's what we read, starting in verse five. In the time of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah, and his wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. So they both came from uh, the priestly tribe of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. Now, the reason that Luke goes to great pains to point out that Zechariah and Elizabeth are righteous people, that they were upright in the sight of the Lord, that they observed all all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. The reason that he goes to great extent to kind of point that out is because one of the prevailing thoughts of the day was that if a couple could not get pregnant, it was because they had done something wrong. It was because they had lived lives that were not righteous or not holy. They were not living in the yes position to God in some way. And what Luke is going to great lengths to point out is that that's just not true. That here is a couple who is totally in the yes position to God. Here is a couple who is following God's commandments blamelessly. And yet, they're still going through this really, really difficult time. It's just one of the many places in the Bible where we are reminded that being obedient to God doesn't mean that we avoid all of the hardships of life. And perhaps even more importantly, that going through hardships doesn't mean that something is wrong with us or something is wrong with our faith. And it doesn't matter how many times I say that, it doesn't matter how many times we read passages of scripture that remind us of that, I continue to find folks who are going through difficult times and one of the questions they're asking is, what have I done wrong? Where am I missing the point? Where am I, I must not be in the yes position of God in some area of my life or I would not be going through that. And the scripture reminds us over and over and over again that no matter how obedient we are to God, it doesn't mean that we avoid the hardships of life and that going through the hardships of life doesn't mean necessarily that something is wrong with our faith. Now, the narrative continues in verse eight. It says this, once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, and we'll talk about that, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of the incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Now, if you go back to 1 Chronicles 24 in the Old Testament, you see that King David arranged the priests 
into 24 different divisions that served in the temple on a rotating basis. And at the time of Zechariah, which would have been at the time of the incarnation, it's gonna lead into the coming of Jesus, the coming of the Messiah. At the time of Zechariah, scholars estimate that there may have been a total of 20,000 priests in those 24 divisions. So way too many priests to minister at the temple at one given time. So each of those priestly divisions, each one made up of almost 1,000 priests, would twice a year, I mean, they would all come together to serve at the three main festivals during the year, but then twice a year in addition to that, they would travel from their homes to Jerusalem and serve in the temple. That division, each of those 24 divisions, that division would serve in the temple for two weeks. And Zechariah was from the division of Abijah, the eighth of the 24 divisions, and these were his two weeks. Like this was his rotation. This was his two weeks of service. Now, one of the most prestigious duties that the priests performed during that two weeks that they served in the temple was the burning of the incense inside the holy place. I described a few weeks ago kind of the layout of the tabernacle, the layout of the temple is that you had this large rectangular space and the outdoor part was, was the outer courts and then you would enter from the outer courts into what was called the holy place and there were things in the holy place including the altar where they burned incense and then from the holy place there was this smaller location near the back of that that was called the holy of holies where the high priest could only go in once a year and so one of the prestigious duties that the priest performed was to go into the holy place where the incense was burned, where the altar was and the incense was burned, and to burn incense. And that occurred twice a day. And the priest who got to burn the incense was, was, was uh, chosen by drawing lots, which is, is kind of like picking names out of a hat. And think about it, there were almost a thousand names from which to choose to have that prestigious honor to be able to burn the incense. So there was a very, very small chance of being chosen for this incredibly important task. But on that day, Zachariah's name is chosen, no doubt by godly providence, and he got the opportunity of a lifetime. So it was a huge thing just to be able to serve for those two weeks in the temple as a priest, but then to be chosen as one of the priests that got to burn the incense, like that was a really, really big deal. And uh, the burning of incense was like a symbol. It was a symbol of the prayers of the people ascending to God. And so when the people who were gathered in the outer courts, when they saw the incense rising from the holy place, they would begin to pray. And on this day, while everyone is praying in the outer courts, Zechariah is in the temple in the holy place burning incense incense and also praying to God and no doubt one of his prayers is for the child that he and Elizabeth have longed for for so long and then this is what happens next verse 11 then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense and when Zechariah saw him he was startled and gripped with fear but the angel said to him do not be afraid Zechariah 
Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. And many of the people of Israel will he bring back, or many are the people of Israel that he will bring back to the Lord their God. He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the people to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, here's the big thing I want you to notice there. I want you to notice that at, that the end result of Zechariah and Elizabeth's season of preparation and prayer that has been going on for 40 years is not exactly what they had envisioned. Yes, they had been praying for a child, but they had no idea that an angel from God was going to show up and deliver the news and scare the bejeebies out of, out of Zechariah. They had no idea that they would be well into their 60s before God entrusted a child to their care. They had no idea that they were going to give birth to a child that God was going to use to prepare the people of Israel for the long-awaited Messiah. It's a powerful reminder that when we are in a season of preparation, whether it's preparing to lead or preparing to serve or preparing for the next big thing that we hope God does in our life, like a new relationship or a new baby or a new job or a new ministry or whatever it is, that we need to pray knowing that God may not answer our prayers exactly the way we wanted them answered. All Elizabeth and Zachariah wanted was a baby. That's all they wanted. We just want a baby. God just give us a baby. But God had something way bigger in mind because God wanted to position them to be at the very center of his redeeming, restoring mission in this world. Whatever it is that you're praying, whatever it is that you're waiting for and waiting for and waiting for and waiting for, just be open to the possibility just open to the possibility that God may be preparing you for something so much bigger than you could possibly imagine. As you are burning your incense at the altar and praying your prayers, don't miss the angel that is standing in front of you. Don't miss the surprising thing that God may be wanting to do in your life. It will probably scare you just like it did Zachariah at first, it will probably surprise you and scare you and startle you. But in the end, it will be unbelievably exhilarating. Now, you would think that an encounter with an angel would pretty much guarantee an overwhelming positive response on Zachariah's part. But that's not exactly what happens. Look at verse 18. Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. Now, he could have just stopped there. <laughs> he could have just stopped with, I'm an old guy. My wife's pretty young, but I'm an old guy. How could this? But no, he has to go on. I'm an old guy, and my wife is well along in years. 
Now, at first glance, like that doesn't seem like such a bad response, right? He's just like, hey, angel, hey, Gabriel, in case you haven't noticed, my wife and I are really, really old, so it's pretty hard for me to get my mind around this whole baby thing, even though I've been praying for it and we've been praying for it all of these years. Now, a couple things I want you to notice there. One, I want you to notice that Zachariah is praying to God. Think about this. Zechariah is praying to God for God to do something that he's not really convinced that God can do. He's been praying for 40 years for a baby. He's been praying when he was here in the tabernacle and the incense was going. Like he has been praying, Elizabeth praying. He's been praying for 40 years for this, but he's praying to God for something he's not really convinced that God can do. And I think sometimes we do that. Sometimes I think I do that. We, we keep praying for stuff. We keep praying for things to happen. We keep praying for stuff that we're really not convinced that God can do it. Now, that doesn't mean that the power of our prayers, hear me here, that doesn't mean that the power of our prayers are somehow canceled out because we don't have a positive enough attitude that God is going to do exactly what we want to do, exactly when we want him to do it. This is not name it and claim it, you know, that just say it and God is going to do it, but it does mean that we dare not put limits on what God can do. And that seems to be what Zachariah is doing. Even as he continues to pray, even as he continues to ask, he is putting limits on what he thinks that God can do. Secondly, the problem here is not Zachariah's reasoned response that he and Elizabeth are too old to have a baby. Because just like Abraham and Sarah in the Old Testament, they are too old to have a baby. The problem here is that in this moment, Zechariah is deifying reason. He's making reason his God. And that's a really important distinction to make. I think especially in a context like Fairfax where, you know, so many we think things through. It's important to think things through, the value and the importance of reason. And it's in a really important distinction to make that faith does not require us to demonize reason. Like I grew up in a church environment where oftentimes reason was demonized. And so the more capable you were of reasoning, the less faith you had. I, I've, I don't know if I've told the congregation before, but I've certainly told a lot of people in the church. My brother Gil, when he got his doctorate from Boston University, could not find a church that would bring him on as the pastor because he had a doctorate. In other words, the idea in the church that I grew up in, was, at least during that season, was that the more thoughtful you were, the more you thought things were, in many respects, the more reasoned you were, the less spiritual and dependent upon the Holy Spirit that you were. And so faith does not require us to demonize reason. Reason is good. Reason is an essential part of our faith. God gave us minds so we could reason. 
The Bible affirms that. But just like we should not demonize reason, we should not deify reason as well. We should not make reason our God. We should not lift reason to the level of God. And that seems to be what Zechariah is doing in this moment. And this is how the angel of the Lord responds. The angel answered, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day that it happens. Because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Now, some of you are parents and you have small kids, right? And sometimes you probably have to put those kids in timeout, like a 10-minute timeout or 15-minute timeout or whatever. Like, Zachariah gets the longest timeout in the history of the world, right? Nine months. For nine months, Zachariah cannot talk. Think about how frustrating that must have been. He has this incredibly good news to share, and he cannot tell anyone. So look at what happens next. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah. So, you know, after the incense would be burned, the priest would, would typically come out and give a blessing to the people who are in the outer courts who are there praying. But because of everything that's happening in this encounter and all of that, Zechariah doesn't immediately come out and they're wondering, like, why he stayed so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. For he kept making signs to them, trying to, trying to like, it was like biblical charades, right? It's like they're, he's trying to like say, this is what just happened, but he's doing it with just motions and trying to describe it without being able to, to speak. So since he can't talk, Zachariah engages in this impromptu game of charades to try to communicate to the people what's just happened. And I thought it would be good maybe today just to kind of get a picture of that, just kind of get a sense of what that might have looked like to the people who were in the outer court. So I've enlisted a few people to come and to kind of reenact uh, Zachariah trying to communicate this to the people. So uh, with the folks that are going to help me out, would you guys come up on the platform? Would you welcome them? This incredible group. This is a brave group. Okay, I, I've given no instructions <laughs> to these folks. And so, so here's what I'll just say. First of all, kind of spread out a little bit so you give yourself a little room. Let's get, let's get up here a little closer to the, these are the people sitting, these are the people in the outer courts, okay? So these are the folks who've been praying, they're trying to figure out, you are Zachariah, okay? You've just come out, you've just heard from the angel, and now you're trying to communicate this to the people in the outer courts. And I'll just kind of walk through the things that you're trying to communicate, and then you just, just do your, just trust in God and do your best to communicate it, okay? All right, here we go. Here's the first thing, and I'll just kind of give you the phrase and then you act it out. I was in the temple praying. All right, that's good. And I was just lighting candles and the incense and getting everything set up for worship. All right. 
Some of the people would have been confused already, okay? When this really scary angel appeared. (laughs) And he told me that God heard our prayers and that Elizabeth and I are going to have a baby. possible, he made it so that I could not speak. Not until the baby was born. (laughs) You guys are being so cautious. I really, I really appreciate that. Elizabeth is never going to believe this. She's going to think I'm crazy. (laughs) All right. Would you give your appreciation? That's awesome. All right. Expectation Church is just down the road as you're looking for another church. Okay. Now, after all of that, right? That was awesome, by the way. After all of that, Zachariah returns home, and again, without being able to talk, he communicates to Elizabeth what has happened. And this is how Elizabeth responds. Verse 25, the Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. And then nine months later, John is born. And Zechariah immediately begins to speak as soon as John is born, exactly the way the angel said would happen, he begins to give praise to the Lord. But here's the deal. Zachariah and Elizabeth are not just giving praise to the Lord because they had a baby. And that's a wonderful thing, an awesome thing. But their praise to the Lord is not just that they have been given a baby. They are giving praise to the Lord for what God is about to do. Because remember what the angel told Zachariah in verse 17. He, talking about their son, John, he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. John was sent to prepare people's hearts for the coming of the Lord. And when you get to Luke 3, and now John is an adult, you see him living out this calling that from the very beginning, God had placed upon his life. It says in John 3, verse 3, that John, he went into all of the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Now in in John's day, before a king would take a trip, it was not uncommon for messengers to be sent out to those who the king was going to visit And 
and ask them or tell them to prepare the roads, prepare the highways, prepare the roads in anticipation of the king's arrival. And that's the imagery. It's the same imagery that Luke is using to describe John's calling, that John is the messenger who has been sent out in advance of the king. He's the messenger that's been sent out who is telling people to prepare the spiritual highway for the arrival of the king, for the arrival of the Messiah, for the arrival of the Savior, for the arrival of Jesus. Preparing the way for the Lord involves spiritual readiness. Like preparing the way for the Lord involves repentance. Preparing the way for the Lord involves acknowledging and letting go of all of the baggage, all of the garbage that impedes our spiritual journey and keeps the king from really being able to invade our lives, keeps Jesus from really being able to invade our lives. And I think in our culture, especially a culture like Northern Virginia that is so goal-oriented and accomplishment-oriented that the value of preparing is often overlooked and underappreciated. Like we want to do, we want to accomplish, we want to lead, we want to move the ball down the field, we want to take the next hill, we, we want to get things done, all of that, but it's in the times of preparation. It's in the 400 years of silence. It's in the 40 years of waiting for a baby to come. It's in the moments of repentance. It's in the letting go of the baggage. It's in the getting rid of the garbage. It's in all of that that God positions us for what's next. So here's the question as we move into this Advent season. With all the things that will be a part of it, in the life of our church, in your life, in your family, in your rhythms during this time. Here's the question as we go into that season that I just want you to think about. How can God use the Advent season to prepare you? To prepare you for Christmas? Prepare you for the celebration of the incarnation? to prepare you for next year, to prepare you for what's next in your life? Like how can God use this Advent season to prepare you for all of that? What garbage is strewn along the spiritual highway in your life that needs to be removed so that you can prepare the way for the Lord? Like, what do you need to let go of? What do you need to repent of? What do you need to just slow down and experience some, some silence in your life so that you can more clearly hear from the Lord? Like, whatever it is, wherever you need to slow down, wherever you need to repent, wherever there's some baggage you need to let go of, some grace that you need to allow into your life, like whatever that is, 
don't miss the opportunity you have this Advent season to prepare the way for the Lord. God, we are so thankful that even in the midst of those times that seem stagnant, meaningless, times that feel like moments of abandonment or you not really caring. That even during the 400 years of silence or the 40 years of waiting, that you are able to use those to prepare us for what's next. Lord, we have no idea what is next in many, in many cases. As we entered into the last couple of years, we could not have imagined what was next. But you are the one who sees over the horizon and you are the one that sees around the corner and you know what is next and you know what is needed in our lives to prepare us for that. So may this Advent be a season of preparation. May we seize the opportunity to prepare the way for the Lord. In the name of Jesus, the Messiah, the King, the Savior, the coming one, we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.